This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. We began the week talking about the sudden resignation of Rod Phillips, who announced just before last weekend he would be stepping down as Minister of Long-Term Care and not running for re-election in June. Phillips received high marks at the start of his tenure as he appeared to listen to stakeholders in long-term care and moved to table legislation that promised financial consequences for owners who violated rules to protect our most vulnerable. But Rod Phillips has also faced scrutiny recently, both for measures locking down nursing home residents and for the escalating numbers of homes in COVID outbreaks. Joining Libby to discuss on Monday, a fill-in Zoomer squad, John Wright, Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion, Marissa Lennox, producer and host of the Zoomer TV on our sister station, Vision TV, and Morgan Hofarth, President of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. RNAO was uh, overall... Um, positive on Rod Phillips' role as the Minister of Long-Term Care. He did consult with RNAO regularly. He seemed really dedicated to the portfolio and to his role as the Minister of Long-Term Care. So we're disappointed because we did really have hopes of positive improvement in the long-term care sector. Marissa, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a difficult year for the minister, not only because of some personal decisions he made last Christmas, but because he is overseeing a sector in crisis. And let's be honest, it's not an easy file. Generally, uh, you know, a life in public service is thankless and tireless, and it comes with a lot of scrutiny and ever so for the minister of long-term care. And so if I had to guess, you know, I suspect he was probably... um, tired of being picked apart for his every move um, and thought he could make more money in the private sector. Sometimes it's the case, especially for star cabinet ministers, that he or she will step down in hopes of coming back as the party leader. But I really don't see that happening here. I think he may uh, just be done. And it's, and it's too bad because he's a good speaker. He's, he's competent. And uh, I had a lot of hope for him as well. John, uh, what's your take and how do you think uh, the electorate will see it? You know what, I joined the other two um, uh, commentators and I think Rod Phillips was a unique member of the Ford government in that whatever he seemed to touch um, went well. I mean, he had the environment, which is oftentimes a very controversial uh, ministry and he just got it and all the problems seemed to just vanish. Um, the same when he was finance minister. I mean, he, he had a stellar um, introduction of the budget and working through the finances, and, and even on long-term care. Uh, I mean, a, a department which had, you know, been so badly handled over the many, many months uh, previously, he was able to get it working and seemed to be moving it forward. I think, you know, the one thing that we have to be careful about right now is uh, if you're a 
political party is trying to figure out who's going to run in the next election. Because I don't think there's any good time for cabinet ministers to leave. But I got to tell you that after three and a bit years of struggling through a pandemic, or almost that length of time, there's got to be a whole bunch of people like Rod Phillips and the current Minister of Health, Christine Elliott, and a, and a group of others who are probably, you know, including the education minister who is looking at the calendar and questioning, do I really want to go through this for another three and a half years or four years, even if it's uh, a minority government? So I think if I were the premier, I'd be asking everybody to fill out a form this week saying, are you staying or are you leaving and trying to manage that as best as I can. My thinking is I think that there had to have been some kind of major disagreement on what to do or what not to do that prompted this. Uh, Morgan, do you think uh, I'm onto anything there? Maybe? It's, I, I don't know. Um, it's difficult to say. I'm not part of the PC party caucus, so don't know what happened uh, inside there. But, um, I mean, it's always a potential, but could also be a personal decision that Rod Phillips made to step down and um, to try something different. So it's, it's hard to say what his reason behind it would be without speaking directly to him. Hmm. It's also possible, Libby, that, you know, maybe he wasn't confident he could win back his riding. I mean, that that could have something to do with it. Again, total speculation, but it's certainly you know, not a good thing that less than six months away from a provincial election, uh, a star cabinet minister is gone. And certainly the premier loses some strength there. Marissa Lennox, producer and host of the Zoomer TV on our sister station, Vision TV. Morgan Hofarth, president of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. And John Wright, executive vice president of Maru Public Opinion. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Opposition politicians were among the first to comment on the resignation of Rod Phillips as Ontario's long-term care minister. They point to it as a sign that Doug Ford's cabinet is in disarray. Certainly, the premier does not have the confidence of Ontarians. An Angus Reid survey released this past week gives Ford his lowest approval rating ever. After the biggest drop experienced by any premier, 6%, taking him down to under 30% approval. On the day the poll was released and in the aftermath of Rod Phillips' resignation, Libby was joined by Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca. Yeah, I was really shocked. And I, you know, I just think about where we are in this pandemic, of course, and the crisis that's reemerged in long-term care homes and nursing homes with Omicron. I know it's been really tough on a lot of families out there. At this moment, to have a senior minister say, not just that he's not running again, but that he's leaving early. Like that's, that's, that's very, very unusual. And so I think it does speak to a lot of chaos that's happening inside of, of uh, an erratic behavior that's happening inside Doug Ford's own, own caucus and cabinet. And I think that shows up in the results of, of how they're handling this phase of the pandemic in particular. Do you have uh, any kind of insight on what precipitated this? I'm sure uh, you've been shaking the trees trying to figure it out. <laughs> I don't, I don't really know for sure. You know, I think, uh, having, again, having been around, uh, you know, governments when you run up to election campaigns, I think it's, uh, there's a natural part of, of this uh, profession or this business where people who've decided that it's time to move on will make their decisions around this time or maybe a little bit earlier than this. 
What's particularly bizarre about this one is that Rod Phillips has only been serving, this is his first term. So most politicians who decide that it's time to exit before an election campaign have normally been there for a few terms. They've, they've, you know, they've gotten everything done that they wanted to do. This is different. Rod Phillips is someone very well regarded in the conservative party, someone that people have speculated had his own ambitions to become premier one day. Uh, you know, for him, just a little bit more than three and a half years into his first mandate in a senior responsibility and responsible for long-term care homes during this moment in this crisis, it is, it's certainly not a vote of confidence from Rod Phillips and Doug Ford. And that's quite clear, I think, to the people of this province. And I think this goes back to whether or not people in this province truly have faith and confidence in Doug Ford to navigate the rest of Omicron, navigate the rest of the pandemic, and then prepare us for a recovery. And I just, I think increasingly people in this province know he's in over his head and he's not up to the job that we need a premier to be responsible for at this point in time. What What's your take on what comes next with this file? Well, yeah, I think for sure it's uh, elder care in general, and in particular, the piece around elder care that deals with our nursing homes will for sure be a big issue during the campaign. I think each party is going to have ideas that we're going to be bringing forward. Obviously, Doug Ford's going to come out swinging on this one. The other parties will, I'm sure, as well. What I suspect most Ontarians want to see is, yes, a plan to rebuild a nursing home sector or a long-term care sector that makes sense. But but if we do that in isolation from the bigger conversation about how we treat our parents and grandparents across the board, so yes, long-term care that truly works for them and provides them with safety and good health and dignity, but community-based home care. Uh, using every tool we have available and the resources to go along with making sure people like my own parents can stay in their home and be healthy and have dignity for as long as possible, uh, making sure that there's economic sufficiency or self-sufficiency for our seniors. There's a really big conversation we have to have around this. And I don't think people in Ontario want to play the blame game, even though I know us politicians, we do that an awful lot. I think people want to see who's got the most thoughtful and responsible plan going forward that will actually make things better. And that's that's where I'm I'm doing my best to focus most of my energy. And I know that we're going to have more to say that about that as Ontario Liberals in the weeks ahead. A new poll today uh, showed Doug Ford down another six points to only 30% approval. What's your view of that? You know, I think people, are their confidence and their faith in Doug Ford to govern this province, to lead this province responsibly and in a thoughtful way, I think is being shaken very badly over the past two years, and it's understandable but I don't put a lot of faith in polls. I just want to keep my head down, keep working really hard and try to give people a sense that I'm someone who wants to lead this province for all of us. Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca in conversation with Libby Snymer on Monday. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, the after effects of Toronto's blizzard. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Wasn't that a snowstorm? In fact, it was a blizzard that we all endured in Toronto and across southern Ontario on Monday. 
It was near impossible to get anywhere during the day on Monday during the height of Snowmageddon, and on Tuesday, it wasn't much better. That's when Libby spoke with OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt, who was offering his best advice as the cleanup got underway. Where the plows have come through and salted, the highway's looking fantastic. It's where the vehicles were, uh, were stuck and stocked in for so, for so long. And, and while there's park there, there's snow on the ground, but then there's additional blowing snow that comes in and drifts around these vehicles. And by the time the tows were able to get them pulled out of there, some of the last uh, vehicles weren't pulled out to early this morning. And, and then we had to get the plows back in. The problem is we already had Tuesday's uh, morning commuters uh, rushing to make up for lost time from Monday and uh, just really jamming up the, the highways, preventing a lot of these uh, plowing operations to continue. Truck drivers are professional drivers. Don't they know how to drive through this? Well, yes, they do. But uh, it's funny, uh, you know, yesterday I was talking to so many truck drivers and they finally get going. And I say, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Just keep rolling, keep rolling. And, and you know, invariably, you know, you talk to a truck driver, What's their biggest uh, frustration is getting cut off. And when there's a lane in front of them and a car sees an opportunity, they will cut in front of these guys. They need to stuff on the brakes, and they stop. And if they slide even an inch, that just digs their wheels into the snow, and now they're stuck, and they can't get moving again. It, it's very frustrating for them. So what do you want to tell people? How should they be driving? Uh, you know, common sense, uh, with some courtesy, with some respect, with some compassion to other motorists. Uh, you know, give yourself some time and patience. You know, just when you see emergency first responders, uh, lights flashing, slow down, move over, be prepared to stop, uh, and, and drive with your full attention, understanding how quickly conditions can change. And what about the lights? Do they have to be on high? High beam lights? Yeah. Uh, no, de- definitely not. Uh, you know, d- depending, obviously, where you are. You know, high beam lights can be uh, annoying and frustrating for other motors coming the yeah. opposite direction. You can't have that that going. But uh, you know, but full, but have your full headlighting system turned on. Uh, you know, don't depend on daytime running lights. Have your full system so you have front lights and tail lights uh, showing where you are. And if you do break down or or have to stop for some reason, uh, turn on your forward flashing lights if you're stopped uh, as a hazard. That will just warn motorists uh, that you're there, and hopefully they will see you in time and avoid. Uh, more trauma. You know, we have these big fluffy snow banks right now, and kids love to play in them and, and whatever else. It's actually pretty easy to shovel uh, relatively compared to the, the wet uh, slush. Uh, but uh, with some freezing temperatures, a little bit of melting and compression, uh, those nice, soft, fluffy snow banks that you thought you could drive over are going to turn into rock solid chunks of ice and they will damage your car. And so you, <laughs> you need to understand. Uh, that, that that snow is not uh, what it was when it fell. Okay. I mean, uh, anything else that you want to leave us with on this? <laughs> oh, boy. You know what? You know, we always talk about to stay home unless absolutely necessary. We're still in a pandemic. We, you know, schools haven't opened yet, and, and we're going to get back to that position. Uh, but if you're an essential worker, you need to keep our supply chain going. You know, I, I uh, you know, respect and and honor the fact that, that you're doing what you can. Uh, but if you have a discretionary travel that you do not need to be out on the road, you know, let the towing operators, let the plowing operations and uh, first responders deal with the situation. And let's wait until we have everything up 
in good condition, and then, hey, businesses will be ready to, to receive your business. So far this year, most of our winter storms that we've had through December and, and so on have all kind of been on weekends, Saturdays and Sundays. So this was the first real true test of, uh, of a weekday high-traffic uh, snowstorm. And boy, oh boy, it, uh, it was a test of patience. And, you know, I was using the hashtag, should have stayed home. And I'm sure a lot of people were wishing that when they were stuck in that uh, log jam. Sergeant Kerry Schmidt of the OPP Highway Safety Division in conversation with Libby on the day after the Toronto blizzard. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. There were two big developments this past week in the fight against COVID involving drugs used to treat severe cases. There are reports of widespread shortages of a medication that is currently in use for that purpose, a common drug called dexamethasone, which is used for other reasons, like after chemotherapy. In addition, a much-vaunted antiviral pill from Pfizer has been approved by Health Canada. It's called Paxlovid, and the first shipment has apparently landed. But to qualify for it, you need to have a positive COVID test. And because there is a shortage, most people cannot get tests. And if they do, results are backlogged, while this pill has to be taken in the first five days of COVID symptoms. Rita Dami is a hospital pharmacist in infectious diseases and the president of the Ontario branch of Canadian Society of Hospital Pharmacists. Jan Belcher is vice president, strategic initiatives and member relations of the Ontario Pharmacists Association. They joined Libby to talk about this new COVID drug on Tuesday. Ultimately, there are a couple different factors that are really critical here and the first is that you mentioned that timeliness of access, right? This needs to be started within five days of symptom onset with a positive test. So the Ontario Pharmacists Association is actively advocating for a pharmacist's role in the distribution to include things like the uh, role of pharmacy-based testing uh, to enable access to the test itself in a timely manner uh, with a timely result as well as um, the assessment and prescribing of the medication by pharmacists um, who could assess the, the patient for the appropriateness of the therapy, uh, look at things like lab values and dose adjust if necessary in the case of kidney disease, and gauge for drug-drug and drug-disease interactions, which for uh, pharmacists are experts in. So we are actively advocating for that uh, to government, for that pharmacy-based role in creating access for people uh, for this medication. Rita Dami, as a hospital pharmacist, uh, what's your perspective on this? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I think what we're going to anticipate for is is right now, it, you know, inside the hospital walls, we are having patient uh, transmission from patient to patient. It, it you know, is, is natural. It occurs in, you know, the fact that we're all in sort of a, you know, institution in a congregate setting here. Um, where we anticipate that we may have utility for this drug is really for some of those, again, more mild patients that we can identify uh, with a PCR positive screen fairly early on. Um, now, again, we appreciate that Health Canada has actually expedited their review on this drug. But again, the, as you're sort of alluding to, this is not going to be the magic pill to get us out of the pandemic. I, I see it as another tool in our toolbox. 
Uh, we also want to be mindful that the supply of this drug is going to be limited. Um, so what I anticipate is going to happen is that the position of this drug is going to be focused on our highest risk COVID patients. Um, again, no different than how we're stratifying COVID therapies right now. Uh, we're going to have to stratify for our immunocompromised patients, our vulnerable elderly patients, and ones that have other risk factors um, uh, like diabetes, like kidney disease. Um, there, There is going to be also, I anticipate, a need for pharmacist review, as Jen has already alluded to. Um, it, because the drug uh, has a significant number of drug interactions. I'm not sure um, if everyone is aware, but one of the drugs that's actually in Paxlovid, uh, it's two, two drugs. One of them is actually an old HIV drug, which we have lots of experience with, but it's got a ton of drug interactions, which are going to need a review. And so, again, not just from the efficacy standpoint, but the safety aspect uh, is key for me as an infectious disease pharmacist. And so, I anticipate that there will be a role. I just anticipate that it's going to be fairly focused and limited. Jen Belcher, I'm going to give the last word to you. What would you like to leave us with? Yeah, I think um, just, you know, understanding that, you know, drugs are a scarce resource. The access to testing is scarce and that we're we're living through a time of, uh, you know, big, big uh, system capacity issues. And ultimately, um, you know, our providers are, are, are there to support you throughout this. Um, but, uh, you know, treat everybody, especially your healthcare workers, with a level of compassion and understanding. Seeing on social media, everyone getting to work in the snowstorm yesterday, um, system is working hard on this, but uh, there are still pieces that need to fall into place, and uh, we'll, we'll update it accordingly as we can. Jan Belcher, Vice President, Strategic Initiatives and Member Relations of the Ontario Pharmacists Association, and Rita Dami, Hospital Pharmacist in Infectious Diseases and President of the Ontario Branch of Canadian Society of Hospital Pharmacists. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Murray in Malton phoned to say he supports Premier Ford for going out in the snowstorm with his media relations person and reporters in tow to help stranded motorists. The idea of this whole thing is to limit the amount of exposure. We are basically under lockdown here to limit the amount of exposure. So if you have all kinds of people coming from wherever, whatever country they're in, you're you're adding to the problem. You're not solving it. You're not curbing it. You're adding to it. Kate in Toronto called to talk about the proposed Toronto property tax increase of 4.4%. Your uh, taxes, property taxes are based on your assessed value. So impact could turn around and assess me tomorrow based on what my neighbor's household for down the street. 
So instead of paying on 700000 I'm assessed at their sale value of 150, uh, pardon me, $1.5 million. And I think at this point during, with COVID expenses, the city should put a stop to that non-payment and also ask for all the back property taxes owed phased in over a 10-year period. And now... Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is David M. Brampton, who phoned about the news that indoor dining and gyms will reopen to 50% capacity on January 31st. I'm a senior. I'm 76 years old. And, uh, you know, I mean, part of my physical and mental health is going to a gym every day. I've been doing that ever since I retired, right? Yep. Now, I have Good for people you. there that I've known for years, and this is part of my social life. You know, uh, we all uh, are doing healthy activities and, and stuff like that. And this is something that should be cur- encouraged, especially for seniors. You know, if their mental health and physical health, and part of that is regular exercise. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.